so I haven't said this in a while, but I always wanted to go to a church like this, <laughs> you know, where people care about the next generation, where they see invisible things and even to the point of like praying for it or investing in it or giving their time to it. I, I look around the room and, you know, we're missing that element right now because you're down there because let's face it, we're old and boring, but that, I, I just remember my wife in the middle of that and said, I wish I would have had that when I was a kid. I could have avoided so many of the things that I, I ran towards that were far more exciting than God at the time, I thought anyway. And uh, there, just, there just wasn't that. And I'm so grateful this community has Jesus in those kids walking the streets, walking the hallways, in the classrooms. I just, uh, anyway, bottom of my heart, thank you for being a church that sees the future as a great investment. I have, um, <clears throat> my wife and I served uh, as youth pastors, and I remember our first, the church we got married in and so forth, it was an older congregation, and there was a handful of younger people, and how many of you know that younger people, they just make noises that older people don't make? The, the older people noises are like, ah, ah, right? And, and the, the younger people are like, ah, and I remember them coming to me and saying, do you mind? Like, do I mind? Well, they're just so loud. I'm like, well, they're 16. If they're quiet, they'd be old. I can't hear my Bible say, well, they just, you know, take the volume. Just do this. You can, you can hear it fine. Just take two Geritol, put one in each ear, and you'll be okay. And, and to have a church that not only doesn't just, like, make a space for them, but values the space um, to the level you have. And then the other thing, that like you guys just gave $55,000 to feed people that don't have food on Thanksgiving. You just, Christmas for kids, the outreach, the two weeks from the day, that we're gonna have this, this ridiculous, multi-generational, all departments, hands on deck environment for families. That the kids elementary age and up and high school and young adults are gonna be involved in this, this great production of, uh, of stuff. It's just, it's crazy to me. So I've always wanted to go to a church like this. I took three minutes I didn't have. Okay, it was five, don't count. It's, you just get along better if we don't count. So uh, it's gonna be awesome. I do wanna say one last thing before we get in the word today about purpose. And a lot of people are asking about the Middle East. You know, is this a fulfillment of prophecy? Um, are we in the beginning of the tribulation? Are these the end times? I would just simply say this, that certainly keep your eyes on Jerusalem because a lot of what happens in Israel, a lot of what happens in Jerusalem is very prophetic in nature. I don't see any direct correlation to like, this is the end. There's other things that would need to happen. But we are told in, in the gospel of Matthew that there'll be birth pains. And, and because I'm a great expert at birth pains, having watched two children be born, um, look, watch for this. It, it, the, what hurts us will be closer together and more intense as the baby gets closer. Does that make sense? So I think what we're seeing is an acceleration of things that have been dormant, but they're, they're coming back and they're extraordinarily painful, extraordinarily painful to watch what hatred does in this world. And that, by the way, that's hatred from any side towards any man, from any man. So the, the posture of this church and the posture of the people of God, I believe, should be this. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for it. Um, there's a toast back when I was a drinker and we wanted to be dignified. We'd, we'd hold up our glasses and we'd say, to peace in our time. I don't know that we'll ever see peace in our time because there's wars and rumors of wars and these things will increase until Jesus returns. But I, I also say this, man, there's, there's kids involved in this and there's non-combatants and there's women and there's so regardless of your political views it's never right to murder somebody regardless of your your conscience regardless of how you've been hurt or what you think the media is doing with this or not doing with this this is not a place for media to rule this is a place for Jesus to rule Jesus loves everybody involved in the conflict and so we're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem 
through the reconciliation of men's hearts to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We do that with me right now. Father, more than anything in the Middle East, yes, they need help and they need this and they need that. And what they really need is Jesus. They need something greater than, than the hate that's gone back for generations. They need a love that is large enough to cause forgiveness and mercy to rule. We do want justice. We, we do want there to be what is right. But when we see those just doing what hatred does, steals, it kills, it destroys. God, we, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that the inhabitants of the Middle East would someday shake hands in fellowship, united under the King Jesus, not under banners of political causes, not under the hatred of the past, but under the love of, of heaven. So that's our prayer today, God. Protect those that are innocent, Father. And help us today to, to live in a world as light and as salt. We don't shout about darkness. We light a match. We're here to serve. We're here to help. We're here to heal. So let our hearts be the, the change that we hope to see in the world. Let us be that today. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Well, if you're not depressed, wait till the next part of the sermon comes. Here we go. No. Um, let's talk about Purpose. One of the things I like to talk about, you guys know this, is purpose. I, Pastor Jason talks. He's going to talk about just suck it up, buttercup, and try harder. When Carl talks, he's going to talk about, you know, unifying people from various places. When Dina talks, she's going to talk about generosity. When J.D. talks, he's just talking. <laughs> he just talks, you know. Now he's going to talk about love and the gospel and the, the, what Jesus does in people's lives. We kind of all have our message. Does that make sense? This is my life message, and this is why. I was told what to do, and those who told me to do it were well-meaning people, but they weren't right. They were well-meaning, but they weren't right. It wasn't until someone said, what did God make you to be, that my life began for the first time to make sense. How many of you guys know, in a classroom setting, when you're told to sit down and shut up, and Jesus made you to stand up and talk, it's confusing. So to have this, to have this environment where we believe that God has purpose on everybody's life is crucial. Somebody say amen. It's, it's, not, it's not an option for me. We got to believe in those kids that we gave towards so we can see what we saw last night. If we don't, then we relegate them. We, we tell them, you're the church of tomorrow, but not today. But by having this faith that God has a plan for each and every one of their lives, we, we, we act in accordance with that belief. Does that make sense? So last week, we talked about eight out of 10 people believing in America. Eight out of 10, 81% of Americans believe. We should stop there because that's an amazing thing that 81% of Americans would believe anything in agreement. It's pretty huge, right? 81% of Americans believe that every single purpose, person who's ever lived has a divine purpose for their life. Isn't that shocking? I don't believe in God, but I believe that God has a purpose for everybody's life. Like, you're not confused at all, are we? You know? And, and the second statistic we showed last week, 81% believe that there's a purpose, and 68%, so 8 out of 10 and about 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 say there's a purpose, 7 out of 10 say, and I haven't found it yet. But I still haven't found, come on, everybody, what I'm looking, it's quizzing and secular music in church. Okay, so I want to keep us moving towards the thought of purpose, because I, I sincerely believe that once you encounter this, your life is, it's fundamentally altered. I'm not saying you have to have this to go to heaven. I'm saying you probably have to have a lot more of this to bring heaven to earth. There's an effect that we have when we truly are who God made us to be that we will not have when we do our imitation of people God didn't create us to be. So I feel like Moses is saying, there's a promised land. Like, where is it? I, I don't know. Flowing with milk and honey. How do I get there? I don't know. L honey, 
milk, <laughs> flowing, follow me, let's, let's go. So some people wrongly believe that Christianity is about the don'ts. You ever heard that one? I become a Christian, but it's such a restrictive religion. I'd rather just be a humanist so I can, you know, do whatever I want. It's like, well, but understand this, marriage is also restrictive. When, when, when I said yes to Dina, it, when she walked down the aisle, if I ever told you this story, I'm fine. How are you going to do the wedding? I'm fine. I stand on that platform all the time. I'm not nervous. Hey, what are you doing? It's, it's not that. And then all of a sudden she comes down the aisle and it hits me like a ton of bricks because it's like everything good Jesus has ever promised me in this life is now walking towards me. Now, by saying yes to Dina and all those promises, I was saying no to probably a billion marriable women on the planet. Now, I get no respect. <laughs> now, none of them know who I am, but you understand the point, right? By saying yes to her, I'm saying no to all their options. Is marriage restrictive? No. It was a choice to see God's promises in a person that I joined my life with. It, it, it didn't hurt me. It wasn't a sacrifice. It was an unimaginable fulfillment of the goodness and grace of God on my life. Do you see that? How many of us can imagine Freedom Center without Dina? How many can imagine JD and Josh without Dina? How many can can imagine me without Dina? It's crazy the effect that she has on the people around her because I said yes, and this restrictive decision about marriage. No, I was liberated by making the right choice. I wasn't restricted by leaving every choice open. In the same way, when we choose Jesus, yes, we're saying no to a billion things, but we're not saying no to a billion things. We're saying yes to one. And saying yes to one, the focus of our life changes so completely. So we're going to talk about purpose as worship. What does it mean to worship God? What does it mean? In Romans, uh, we, we get the first 11 chapters. They're my, my favorite chapters. Romans 1, 2, and 3. Ever read it? Paul is a genius. He is a lawyer. He's prosecuting his case. He says in chapter 1, man, there's some really bad people in this world. He talks about how bad they are. They do this. They do that. They're not this that they should be. They are this that they shouldn't be. Aren't they bad? And his audience goes, yeah. He's writing to both Romans and Jews, so Gentiles and Jews in the city of Rome. And aren't they bad? Oh, they're so bad. Chapter two. Yeah, you suck too. And they're like, oh, because whatever point you judge them about the law, well, if you break any of the laws, you're, you're talking about the ones that you have no problem keeping. But I'm talking about all the laws, not just the ones that don't bother you. So yes, they're bad, but understand, at the same point they break the law, they become lawbreakers. At the same point you break the law, you become lawbreakers. Chapter three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter four, there's a redemption that comes by faith. Chapter five, let me show you how Abraham did this. Before there was a covenant of the law, there was a covenant of trusting God, and he was righteous. Abraham believed God, and it was credited him as righteousness. Chapter six, right? The whole, you know, for the wages in his death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter seven, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, whatever that is, right? Chapter eight, we're adopted. Chapter nine, let me show you more. Chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. He's going to sum up everything from the first 11 chapters, and he says it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. Here's your response now. Here's your response. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This, everybody say this. This is it. This is your true. This is your proper. This is your worship. 
In other words, when we understand who we are, we understand what Jesus has done, and we understand the covenant in which we live, and we understand that we're adopted, and we understand that if we're sons, then we're also heirs, co-heirs with Christ and heirs of God. If we understand that we're not orphans and we're not merely sons, we're also heirs. You guys getting this? Then when we realize that, what's the right response? Well, live for Jesus. Live for him, right? So the, the picture of this temple, let me show you this, uh, check this out. So this is like the, the first temple, the Old Testament. There's the, the holy place and the holy of holies and the, the curtain. I'm serious, don't interrupt me. And back there, right? We got the outer courts and the Gentile courts are out there. And all this, when, the, when you say sacrifice to a Jew or even sacrifice to a, a Greek-based Gentile, what they'd be hearing is animal sacrifices and blood offerings and we'll pour blood out to Zeus or Apollo or Jehovah. And so they understand sacrifice as blood as burning. The smell of sacrifice, even though God calls it a sweet savor, um, you burn a corpse and see what it smells like. It ain't a barbecue. It smells bad. It's not like a campfire. It's like a, it's a campfire, but not like that. Anybody, anybody just even smelt a goat cooked under the best of circumstances? A, a goat tastes like a goat smells. I'm just saying. And their sheep, you know what a sheep tastes like? Exactly what it smells like, like, like sheep raisinets. I mean, that's what a sheep tastes like. That's why you got to put cilantro and tomatillos and garlic and salt. Anything you got to tenderize for 14 days and marinate and stuff that tastes good, don't taste good, right? So this is what they understand. And the sacrifice was basically this. The sacrifice was something that was innocent, dying to cover the actions of someone who was guilty. Let me say it again. The sacrifice was something, an animal, that was innocent, had committed no sin against men. It's an animal, right? And dying to cover the actions of someone who is guilty. Now, Jesus comes, and he's not a sacrifice to cover sins. He's a sacrifice that cleanses. Everybody say cleanses. Cleanses sin. You're born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. This is not, this is not painting over rust, the rustoleum of the blood of Jesus. No, you get down to bare metal, and you make a brand new you. And that's what Jesus has done. He's revealed the you you were created to be before sin ever contacted you. That's the life we have. So the sacrifice God desires, it's no longer the death of the innocent. It's the life of the forgiven. Amen. I got one amen, and that's Mary. So let's, let's try to, and this is, this is why that's really important. Um, you, you know that feeling? Did you ever, get, you ever get a feeling during worship? You ever get that? You know what I'm talking about? The feeling like, like, I'm fully alive. Like, there's joy in this. There's, there's peace in this. Like, if my worst enemy walked up, I wouldn't want to spit in his face. I'd want to hug his neck, and I can't explain it. You know what I'm talking about? If you haven't experienced it, that's okay. But if you've experienced it, raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of, that presence of God. Understand this. When you know your purpose for God and you live it, that feeling is not reserved to times of music and corporate worship. When you, acting as God has created you to act, behaving as God has created you to behave, making that choice, denying the billions to be married to the one, when you live your life that way, there is a joy that comes upon you and you become not a dead sacrifice, come on, but a, this is your true and proper worship. Your true and proper worship, yes, includes, yes, includes music. Yes, includes the, the, we see the kids enjoying themselves and dancing and the joy of the Lord. Yes, it includes the, the times of communion and the times of offering and the, the times of fellowship. Yes, yes, yes. But remember this, those times, we, we got to go back to work sometime. But what if your work was something you were created to do, not something you had to do? What if the purpose of your life was so revealed that tomorrow morning you got to wake up and live who you were, not just your responsibilities? And that's what I'm talking about. There's a life that is a life of worship 
that we live before God. Living sacrifices. What, a, what does a living sacrifice look like? Number one is this. It's abundant. John chapter 10, verse 10. He makes this, this statement. He's, he's contrasting people who'd come before him saying, this is the way to life. This is the way to life. And, and he calls those people thieves. This would be, we would know the Aristotles, the, the Socrates, the, you know, the person, the priest of Zeus or the person of that. He says that there's a purpose for their message. It was, it, they, they saw things, they observed things. There was some wisdom in it. There was some philosophy in it. But none of it led you to the one true God. And because of that, they're like thieves. They, they came and you gave them your attention. You got the tattoo on your arm. You know, you read the book in, in philosophy class. It's all wonderful. They're observing things. I'm not saying what they said was all a lie. But understand this. If you follow Aristotle, Aristotle will lead you to hell. And if, if you follow Plato, Plato will lead you to hell. You'll be the wisest man there. But you'll still be there. Because Plato can't save you. Because Aristotle's words can't save you. But Jesus' words bring life. And so he says, everyone that tried to get the sheep out of the pen, everybody that came like, you know, and said, follow me, follow me, they're, they're false shepherds. They're thieves. They didn't mean to be thieves. They just didn't know what truth is. They just observed things and talked and people listened. He said, but I've come, listen, to give them my purpose, Jesus says, is to give them what? Say it with me. A rich and what? Rich and satisfying life. Living from your God-given purpose is marked by a rich and satisfying life. In the movie, Chariots of Fire. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody here over 40 and cool like me? Saw Chariots of Fire, you know? Eric Liddell is this, I think he's Scottish, right? Scottish runner. And his family has a mission in China. They're, they're, they have, like, they're reaching out to people that don't know Jesus, have no gospel witness, and they go there and they live. And Eric, is, is, he's under this, this covenant of family humility, but he's a, he's a globally known athlete. And his sister's begging him, please, you're, you're wasting your life, man. Like you're, you're, everybody knows you and this fame. Eric, I'm concerned for your soul, she says. This isn't who you are. You're, you're, you're part of a mission. We're a humble family and the world knows your name. When you speak at a church, everybody shows up because they want to hear the great Eric Liddell. Please, please just come to the mission. And this is what he says there. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but, everybody say, but. He also made me fast. Hear this line. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yes, we do have a family mission. Yes, I will be there. I believe there's a purpose for my life, but understand this. God, for some reason, made me the way that I am. I'm the fastest runner at this, this distance in the world. And when I run, come on, say it with me. I feel his. That's what I'm talking about. There's a life where you get to be, not the expectations of everybody, but the expectations of your creator. I'm not saying ignore everybody because iron sharpens iron. But I am saying this. In the end, if you do everything that everybody wants you to do, unless they lead you to you, you will never be satisfied being what they made you. No matter how many degrees, how many dollars, how many accolades, how many promotions, how many vacation homes, how many boats, how many people love you? Listen to me. If you don't become what he made you to be, then you don't become what you were created to be. And that will never satisfy you. I believe God has made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. He's describing what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Um, by a show of hands. So if this happened to you already this morning at least once, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody get in here today having received at least one hug. Okay. All the germaphobes are like, dang, man, you know. 
But, but you know why you got hugged? Because Miss Pat was created to love. Because when she hugs you and welcomes you and blesses you, she feels the pleasure of God. You, do you know, did, you know, did you know that the people that stood up here this morning leading worship, they're all about 14 years old. And then, and then John. But they're all about 14 years old. To me, they are. I mean, you guys know that everybody under 40 is a kid now. You know, that kid, you mean the, the, the guy with the grandkids that still lives next to you? Yeah, that kid next door, you know. Like, like there's these kids up here. You know how much most of them get paid to do what they do? Why are they up here? Because when they lead you in worship, come on, they feel the pleasure of God. Yesterday, my home was spotless, clean, orderly. And then the grandkids came over. And Hurricane Francine blew from the basement up through the main level. And I'm not even sure we have shingles anymore. Like she blew hard yesterday. For some reason, my wife thought it would be a good idea to give the kids a Nerf gun and say, look, Bapa's a deer. And, and so Bapa got chased all over the house yesterday. I'm hiding in the closets. I'm scaring them as they come out. Hollis, oh, I'm so proud of Hollis because insects, the instincts to run away. Hollis ran away, made distance, and then turned and shot. I'm like, that's what a warrior does, kid. Make distance and then shoot your... I mean, I'm just saying, it was a good moment for me as a Bapa. Don't just run. You got a gun. Make me pay. That's what I'm saying. So he did that. I said, high five. You got me. Good for you. Never run away. You got a gun. Don't run away. I'm sorry. It's, it's a teaching moment for another sermon altogether. But I... Like, good for you, kid. And what happened was, was this. Like, I, there's giggles and there's laughter. They had this song they invented two years ago. Can I tell that song or no? Is that, can I? Okay. I should have family permission, probably from their father. But since I can't make eye contact with them right now, I'll just, I'll just uh, yeah. So to get my goat, they invented a song that they call, I Love Poopies. And then they call me Captain Poopy. So I, I think it's a, it's a term of endearment of some sort. But they kick the back seats and they're like, I love poopies. I'm like, you don't love poopies. Nobody loves poopies. See, people gather when you have good worship. That's all I'm saying. And I, and I, I reach back, I'm driving down the road. I'm reaching back, grabbing their knees and tickling them. Can I tell you something? I felt the pleasure of God. Well, that's just what being a grandparent is. Okay. But I felt the pleasure of God because I'm not a grandparent. I'm their grandparent. I'm not a husband. I'm her husband. I'm not a pastor. I'm your pastor. And when I do what God created me to do, come on, I feel, come on, the pleasure of God. When we do what we're created to do, we, we worship our creator and we feel his pleasure. You gotta know this. You know, it's a sacrificial life to be a Christian. It's absolutely true. In the same way, it's absolutely true to be, a, it's sacrificial to be a husband or a wife. But by saying no to the billions and saying yes to the one, your, your life is so much better, right? It's up to billions now. Is that an ego or what, Right? When we do what we're created to do, we worship our creator and we feel his pleasure. You know, a living sacrifice. Ooh, that sounds hard. Can I tell you what a living sacrifice has that people who don't live as living sacrifices do not have? A living sacrifice is deeply alive. Deeply alive. Joyously, hilariously, beautifully, peacefully, powerfully alive. But you're a sacrifice, yeah. And I've never, I've never felt more alive than when I'm giving everything I am to Jesus and living according to his pleasures. See, I believe that God loves the sound of my grandkids' giggles as much as I do. I think God loves the sound of worship in this room as, as, much, as, as much as I do. I think that, that when, again, this is like two or three weeks in a row, but I just, I see your beard there, Tom, it kind of stands out, you know? 
like Tom gets on a motorcycle and, and, and his bride, they, they find an identity on those bikes. I just, I'm just glad I cheated death every time I get off of one. He's living his best life. And I know that, that phrase brings like a, almost a human-centric. It's, it's not. There, there's a balance. If it's all about me, then my life is death. But if it's all about God and God gives me life, it's all about life. If it's my decision, my choice, my will, then, then why have a God if you're going to be one? But understand this, a, a living sacrifice is deeply alive and it's, it's purposeful. There's a reason. And I retire, man. You know, put that slide up there, will you guys? It's purposeful. I, when I retire, I'm gonna live on the beach. I'm gonna play golf. I'm gonna go parasailing. I'm gonna go deep sea fishing. I'm gonna, like, fine, but do that for a couple of weeks. That's vacation. And after a couple of weeks, you go, is there anything more than this? Doesn't my life have a deeper purpose than my own pleasures? Is there anyone else, anywhere else, any place, any, anything that I can give myself to? Because when I am the center of my worship, I don't feel like I'm worshiping. But when I give me, the me that God made me to be, away to others, I feel his pleasure in ways I can never feel apart. And you guys know this verse, Ephesians 2.10. Anybody memorize this verse yet? If you haven't, I don't know what church you've been going to. This is huge, right? It, it says this, we're God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. We're finding these things as we walk around the, the, along the road of obedience. We find this, this man laying by the side of the road and we become the good Samaritan. We're mending our nets and we hear the voice of the Savior say, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We're doing what we're created to do and God is interjecting himself in these beautiful moments that change everything. When you find that that sweet spot of your purpose, and you find that those works that God prepared in advance for you to do, and you become a living sacrifice, you give it all to be that, no one, this is what Nate Saint said this, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's a brilliant still worshiping God that goes well beyond the hymn we sing or the chorus we sing or the open mic night or the, the music. Yes, that's beautiful. Yes, that's important. Corporate worship, it, it goes back to the foundations of worship itself in the Old Testament. It's absolutely biblical. But if you're supposed to be building houses and you build a house, you feel a pleasure in your heart when you hand the keys to the owner. Anybody doubt that Chip and Joanna Gaines don't enjoy the reveal day? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else cool enough to watch HGTV? I mean, guys, if all you have was HGTV, your favorite sports team, and the Hallmark Channel, like, everybody would be happy in the house, <laughs> right? John Piper, who, who I, I don't know much about him. I've heard him speak a few times. He seems very happy and kind of crotchety all at the same time. So I, I, I'm, I, but I, he said this, and I really like what he said here. He said, God is most glorified in us, and we are most satisfied in him. He actually, he actually called the phrase Christian hedonism. You guys know what the word hedonism means? It's, it's like pleasure for the sake of pleasure, unrestrained. If I like it, whether it's so much food or so much sex or so much money, it's just hedonism. He said, well, Christ has a hedonism for those who would follow him. There's, a, there's an unrestrained pleasure. When God is most glorified in us, we are most satisfied in him. And I just, just kind of let me start landing the plane here. But this, I want to show you this picture. This, I actually went down this road. It was... July, late June, early July, 1985. That is the road. Those of you guys have been to the School of Desert Warfare at Fort Irwin may remember this road. But you land, I think, at Andrews, and then you, you take these cattle trucks. And it's about 197 degrees. And it's miserable. And that's the road you go down. Fort Irwin, if you can see the upper right-hand corner, there's actually a, a mountain back there. That's the middle of Fort Irwin. There's a dry lake bed called Bicycle Lake that's between the entrance and that. That's kind of the point of reference. But for, for a month... For a month, not wearing desert fatigues and desert shoes. And 
in our wilderness battle dress uniforms, which has black on it, dark brown on it, black combat boots, OD green tents, all the stuff we're supposed to have for desert warfare. Well, it didn't come in until the week after we got back from desert warfare. School, not warfare, desert warfare school. So it's 110, they, they said at one point it was 126 degrees. And you know what a Jeep doesn't have? Air conditioning. The only shade in the Jeep is under a Jeep. At night, it gets freezing cold. There's about 20 minutes every morning, 20 minutes every evening where you want to be alive. And then it gets way too cold or way too hot very quickly. So you take those 20-minute naps. The only good night's sleep I had in a month out there was the night I spent in jail. Another story. But I'm just saying, the jail had air conditioning. <laughs> Made me want to break all sorts of laws. So why do I, why do I put that up there now? Because what happened was this. I was like um, under 100 days. They call it a double-digit midget or a short-term person. Like I was down to less than 99 days. When I got back from that, that brutal, agonizing, one of the hardest, I mean, jungle warfare school, probably the hardest, I mean, as far as like comfort goes, well, SEAL training, you know what I mean, never mind. But it's hard. <laughs> there, duly established. I, I get back, I'm never going to use this. I'm not coming back to the army. I'm not even giving you my home address when I leave so you can find me. I'm done. I went to my first sergeant and suggested that perhaps the army was wasting its money and time by sending me to that school. Yeah, it, didn't go over very well. His suggestion to me and my mother, as I recall, uh, had something to do with going to school. And I went to school. I remember driving down that road going, what am I doing here? The abject, useless misery that was in front of me. Why, why do I share that story with you? Because the way I went down the road that day a long time ago is the way you'll go down the road to work tomorrow. The same sense of dread. The same sense of futility. The same sense that this isn't who I am. This isn't what I do. Why am I doing this again? Piano girl, join me if you would. Excuse me, Mrs. Piano girl. Join me if you would. So, Lyndon, I know you're, you're listening and watching Campus uh, Pontotoc and, and Grand Blanc and, and Fenton. Like, hear that you don't have to do the things you weren't created to do. And you can feel what I'm talking about is worship. You can live a life that, yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's sacrificial. Matter of fact, let me just say this. I believe that whether you follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus, life is hard. It's either hard because you have everything and you still know that you have nothing or, or you lose people you love or pets or jobs or friends. Or it, life is hard either way. You see that? How many of you agree with that? That's true. Life is probably hard either way, right? So, Jesus warned us that there was going to be a cost to being his disciple. And I, I was in Rome uh, several years ago, and I, I went down to the place, down in this little, it's the jail cell where Paul wrote Philippians and 2 Timothy. And it, it looks like this. It, it used to be a, a cistern, so rainwater would pour off into that, but then they, they put an aqueduct. They put a viaduct. Water went through. And so the aqueduct, the, the, the place... Where the, where the water would gather was no longer. Did I say that right? Jeff, you're a water guy. Aqueduct, viaduct, is that right? Shaking, what the, well, you're a water guy. I figured you know. Anyway, that's a well. That, that's, a, that's a holding area. And when they moved the water around Rome, then it, it was above the water table. It was no longer used for that. But this is where the Caesars, the Roman emperors, would put their prisoners that were slated for execution. They could find them quickly. That's a, uh, Pastor Carl, where are you at? Maybe two blocks from the Colosseum. Maybe, maybe a maybe a block from where they would have been judged with finality. He's led outside the gates of Rome and his, his head is, uh, he's, he's decapitated for his faith in Christ. That's, that's where he was. And he, and he talks about life 
And he says it in these words. I want you to hear this. I want you to, I want you to ask yourself the question, will these be the words I'll use? Are these words that apply to a, a dead apostle 2,000 years ago but are 1,000 miles from, from my address of my soul? He said this. He said, I'm already being poured out. And he uses the phrase like a drink offering. My life is an offering. And, I, and I'm watching as this cup is pouring and pouring. We all know what happens. It comes out fast at first, but then eventually it, it's slower and slower and you realize. He said, already, man, I, I know that my life, like where I'm at, like I'm almost done. He goes, and the time for my departure is near. He's writing to his son. He's using words that are a little anesthetic. Yeah, then I come cut my head off and I'm gonna be freaked out. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't say words are gonna trouble his son in the faith. He says words like, my life is coming to an end and I'm, I won't be here. I'll be somewhere, but I won't be here. That's what he says about his life. Hear me. He said, I have fought. Anybody know what it is? The good fight. Hey, it was a fight, man. Philippians, the jailer, beaten with rods, shipwrecked. I used to be somebody and now it's just me writing letters to people I haven't seen in a long time because everybody's abandoned me. I stood alone at my defense before Rome because I used to be the Apostle Paul and now it's just like, whatever happened to that old dude? Yeah, he's, he's gonna probably be killed. Okay, well, let's move on to the next thing. He says, I, it was a fight, but listen to me, it was such a good fight. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight. If you had and you lost, that's not a good fight. So he's saying here, I, there's a good, I've been fighting for decades. Man, it was good. You got to grit your teeth when you say that. Man, it was good. Getting my medical license. Man, it's good. Getting Kelly to marry you. Man, that was hard. He says, I have finished. Anybody know what it is? The, the race. You ever been in a race? I've been in races. I don't win them, but I, I, I've been in races the first time I ran a 10-mile race, Dean and I were together in Flint. We ran the crim together. We started mile three when they announced the winner of the 10-mile race. <laughs> hey, man, God made gazelles and God made rhinos. We're all beautiful in our own way. I'm just saying, you know. And he says this, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. He says this in the end, I have kept the faith. So, Pastor Jason, I know I haven't handed this off very well the last few weeks, so would you please at this time stand to your feet? Would you walk to the front of the auditorium? And I'm going to say goodbye in three. There it was. Let me ask you this. Is your life fully alive? Is your life fully alive? Is it described as worship and then work? Is it described as worship? Have you found it? Are you living it? Are you loving it? Are you fighting? But it's a good fight. Are you running? But it's a good race. Are you existing with some sort of vain hope that tomorrow will have something in it that yesterday didn't? I don't know a lot, but I want you to know that three weeks from the day, we're gonna get to do a deep dive on this. Next week, Pastor Carl's gonna be speaking on grace. We, we have to go there first. Because if you don't believe that God believes in you, you'll never ask him what you're supposed to do. That's a decent poem. If you don't know that God believes in you, has invested in you, wants something back from his investment because he trusts you, then when a dream comes, you'll say, that's not for me. I, when I get my life together, when I'm better, when I'm forgiven, like stop. The grace of God is important. The week after that, we're gonna have all the generations in here and we're gonna party like it's 1999. It's, good. it's just gonna be awesome, you know? It's gonna be fun, right? 
But three weeks from today, we're going to come back and talk about the clues. If you, don't, if you haven't already been through the clues, we're going to talk about the clues. We're going to deep dives into these things. So you'll find it. And then how about a month from now? If you don't know your purpose today, you'll know it a month from now. Anybody think that's a good idea? Let's do that. Well, let's do that. But let me just say this before we go. This is all I know about your purpose. Is someone gave it to you. And it wasn't your mama. It wasn't your daddy. It wasn't your professor. It wasn't your coach. It wasn't your mentor. It wasn't your tormentor. It was your creator. God himself, in his love, created you with purpose, with reason, with beauty, with power. And if you don't know him, there's, it's impossible to know you. Can I just say that again? Because I, I want you to get that. If you don't know your creator, then you don't yet know you. You can't. Even if, even if you got a sniff of it, you'd reject it. If you got a clue of it, you'd be like, that's who I am, and you'd get all prideful. It, it's both the grace of God and the humility of, of, of being his that this puts us in this spot to serve so well. So I am blessed today because I'm a long ways from that desert road you saw. I get to wake up every morning saying, I, my wife will tell you, how many times a week do I say, you know what I'm gonna say? How many times a week do I say, I wish I could just drink coffee and start a new day right now? I don't like sleeping. I'll tell you that back. I love sleeping. I don't like that the day has to end and I can't wait for the day to begin. Why? Because when I get up, I'm a hammer that gets to drive nails and build a kingdom for my heavenly father. And I'm not saying, aren't I wonderful? I'm saying this, the life that I enjoy is the life of worship, no matter what your, your representation, whether what, it's, that's waiting for you. But it begins with knowing your redeemer. Close your eyes, would you? Bow your heads all over this room. Father, I pray for those that are here right now. They cannot get there without you. You're the one who picks us up. You're the one that guides us. You're the one that empowers us. You're the one that affirms us. You're the one who calls us. You're you're the one that brings us out of darkness into light. You're the one that resuscitates our souls from death onto life. So God, right here, right now, come on, if you're not right with Jesus, and I mean that, I I don't care what your church background is. I don't care the depth of depravity you were once in. I don't care how many nights you spent in jail just to get out of the heat. What I care about right here, right now is this. Do you know how much God loves you? See, he made a decision about a relationship with you. He said no to billions and billions and billions of options by saying yes to send his son to die in the place of sinners like me and like you. If, if living for God is restrictive, it's only because there's one way that's better than all the others. The way of life, Jesus said, I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the good shepherd. I have come that they might have a full and rich and satisfying life. If you don't have that, then come on, right here, right now. Jesus, forgive my sins. Let's start this over again. Let's not make it a morality contest. Let's not make it a moral diet. Let's not make it a, a piety show. Let's, let's, make it a, let's make it a father-son project. Let's make it a daddy-daughter dance. You lead. We'll follow all over this room right now, if that's you, just say yes. Come on. Jesus, yes. I say yes. I say yes. I say yes. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, fill us. Energize us to be. Let me thank you for it now. And everybody said, amen. Come on, stand to your feet, if you would, please. Um, we are going to do two things on our way out the door today. 
Number one is this. We're going to be uh, asking anybody that needs prayer for anything, like to talk more about this or other things. Altar workers, if you'd step out from where you are, just kind of maybe meet in this area. There's some room here. How many of you guys like the Jesus mosh pit idea? I think that's wonderful. That's a, that's a good thing. The other thing is this. Before you leave this room, um, I want you to introduce yourself to at least one, maybe as many as three people you don't already know. And if they're cool, you know, and they're single, ask them to lunch. You know what I mean? If they're... If they look like you and talk, I mean, don't, don't leave here like this was a show you attended. This is a family and you're part of it. So be that friendly part of the family to the friendly part of the family that doesn't know how to be friendly yet. And uh, in doing so, God blesses you. In not doing so, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your undergarments. Amen. So greet some people. God bless you. You're dismissed. Say hi to some folks. Go out there and worship the Lord this morning.